Good morning. My name is Jason Oliver. Thanks for being here with us today. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his heaven, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Good morning. Good to see everybody, especially if you're here for the first time today. We are talking, we just finished, we just wrapped up a seven-week series on marriage, and we're doing two weeks on gratitude going into Thanksgiving, get this mic situation worked out here. Um, we're talking this morning about giving, and uh, specifically financial giving, giving of your money. This is, if there's ever a subject that kind of raises red flags, it's this combination of money and religion, um, thought to be a lethal mix. It's a 1992 movie, Leap of Faith, um, starring Steve Martin as this con man preacher who goes from town to town bilking people out of their, their money. Um, the, the tagline for the movie was Real Miracles Sensibly Priced. Uh, it's, suppo- it's a Broadway musical, supposedly supposed to be opening sometime soon, so you can be looking forward to that. Uh, but they, that character doesn't really require much of a stretch of your imagination. You know, we, we know this guy. We've seen this guy plenty of times before. A really prominent one in recent decades was this guy, Robert Tilton, did these late-night infomercials, preacher guy. 
Um, we'll bring in about 80 million a year until Diane Sawyer did a uh, prime, prime time special on him and uh, exposed all his fraud. And, uh, another one that may, may or not, I mean, I'm not saying this guy is necessarily has any fraud going on, but um, Creflo Dollar is a really prominent one today. Creflo Dollar, um, that's his real name, by the way. Which, so it's kind of like, well, what else was this guy supposed to do? But could be kind of a take your money preacher. Uh, but big church in Atlanta, they've actually, they hold services in New York now um, up at Madison Square Garden on, on Saturday nights. And, um, you know, the Times has ran exposés on this guy and stuff. He has a couple Rolls Royces and private jets and big home in Atlanta, big apartment here. And, you know, all these poor people come into the church giving all their money. And so it just, bothers people. You know, religion and money, they think of it as a bad mix. This really lethal combination raises a bunch of red flags. And what I want to do this morning is, is look at what Jesus says on the subject. And the surprising thing is there's a lot of different ways you could talk about giving. Um, the thing that absolutely shocked me and continues to shock me as I look at what Scripture says is that what, what these guys, Robert Tilton and Creflo Dollar and other guys like them say about giving is basically exactly what the Bible says about giving. It's, it's 100% true. And the reason it works so well is because they're talking about something true. Now, they abuse it. They use it for the wrong purposes. They forget to talk about the rest of the Bible. But I think the rest of us Christians, the, uh, the educated ones, the smart ones, the ones that aren't going to get bilked by anybody, we have really lost out because we've allowed this area to be just co-opted by the crazies. You know, we don't talk about it like that. I was going to talk about giving in terms of gratitude. You know, that was the idea. Talk about we give in response to God's giving to us, and we give as an expression of our gratitude. That's good. That's all true. That's all good. But what I want to talk in, about instead is, is this really um, remarkable, self-interested reason for giving of your money. Looking at, at Jesus' words in, in Luke chapter 12. So three sections to this morning's message. First, um, what will happen if you try to hold on to your money? Second, what will happen if you give your money away? Um, with respect to two different time horizons there. What will happen in this life if you, if you try to give your money away? And what will happen in the life to come if you give your money away? And then third, why it works that way. So the first two are just descriptive. What will happen? This is guaranteed to happen if you try to hold on to your money. And then what will happen if you give your money away. And then the third one is why. Why does it work that way? Why did God set it up to work like that? Because it bothers some people. Some people don't like it. We're going to talk about why, why he set it up like that. So before we get into it, let's pray. Guys, we look this morning at your plan for our money. I ask that you would give us wisdom, that you'd open our eyes and open our hearts. I pray that you'd speak to us. It's in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. So you just heard this read from Luke chapter 12. Uh, the first thing Jesus talks about in this story is what will happen if you try to keep your money. Let me read the first part of this again. He tells them this story. A land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, 
This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself, is not rich toward God. So what will happen to you if you try to hold on to your money? Jesus says, what will happen to you is you will fail. You will fail. You will not be able to hold on to your money. Uh, Solomon, one of the wealthiest guys that ever lived, maybe the wealthiest, also one of the wisest, wrote this book of the Bible. King, King David's son, a king of Israel, writes this book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It is an insanely depressing book. If you want to you know, read something that's going to make you want to slay your wrist, go and read Ecclesiastes. It is really, really bad. It's, this is not a joke. This is the way the book starts. Opening paragraph. Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And it just goes on like that for a number of chapters. And he is bothered by the fact that he has worked so hard, done so much, achieved so much, and he's going to lose it all. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. He says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. You pay taxes. You know that that's true. The more you make, the more they take from you. Naked a man comes into the world, naked he departs. You can't take it with you. It's this old line about you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. You can't take it with you. No matter how much you make, you have to give it all back at the end. You have to give it all up. If you try to hold on to your money, you'll fail. And this is, Solomon's not saying this is like this wise sage trying to teach you a lesson because he cares about you. He's just complaining. He's complaining because he did it. He acquired everything, and he's going to lose it all. He says, I denied myself nothing, refused my heart no pleasure, and saw that it was all chasing after the wind. One of the few guys that ran out of ways to spend his money before he ran out of money. Not very many people like this. William Randolph Hearst would be one. Howard Hughes would be another. That they just had so much that they could do anything they wanted. Most of us, there's always this idea in front of us of a little bit more, you know, some mirage out there. If I just had that, then that would be enough. And these are the, the few guys that have ever lived that they run out of mirages before they run out of money. And they come to the end of this road of more and more and realize that it's a cul-de-sac. You know, there's, there's nothing there. Um, John Ortberg is this pastor in Northern California in the Bay Area. He has this great story about uh, playing Monopoly with his grandmother as a kid growing up. He would play with her every su- summer, and she would always um, beat him really badly. He would always lose. And so one summer he started playing with a friend and kind of learned how the game went. And so he writes about um, that summer going to play with his grandmother in the sense of anticipation he felt toward being able to beat his grandma in Monopoly for the first time. So he says, By the time that fall rolled around, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I was playing her with sweaty palms. I was ready to bend the rules if need be. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's weakness. Relentlessly, I began to drive her off the board. I can still remember. It happened at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother. She taught me how to play. She was an old lady by now, a widow. She had raised my mother. She loved my mother. She loved me, taught me how to play the game. I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life. (laughs) Then she had one more thing to teach me because the great lesson always comes at the end of the game. Now she said, it all goes back in the box. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. All those houses and all those hotels, all those railroads and utilities, all that property, boardwalk and park place, all that wonderful 
money. Now that the game is over, it all goes back in the box. So I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to bronze it. You know, I wanted it to stay out. But it all goes back in the box. Game's over. It all goes back in the box. That's what Jesus is saying about this guy. You fool. You fool. Didn't you realize that when it's over, it all goes back in the box? How did you not realize that? How did you not learn that? We used to focus on this idea. We used to teach our kids this. Now we don't. Now there's this whole industry of trying to pretend you're never going to die. You know, anti-aging. You, you don't have to face death. It used to be we wanted to make sure everybody was really clear about this truth that when it's over it all goes back in the box, that life is going to end someday. You know, there's that old prayer that parents used to, to pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And what you may not know is that there is a second verse to that prayer that was often prayed. So just, just imagine a parent kneeling beside the bed of their child, praying this with the, the child before bed. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span, and cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Good night, honey. <laughs> Sweet dreams. But we, we didn't want people to be confused. We used to hit this hard. It's going to come to an end. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. But this guy, this guy in Jesus' story, didn't understand that. He didn't get it. He fundamentally didn't get this basic idea that you can't keep it. You can't take it with you. And Jesus is saying, he's a fool. He's a fool because of that. So that's what happens if you try to hold on to your money. The second thing Jesus wants to talk about then is, is what happens, as an alternative, what will happen if you give your money away? What happens if you try to give all your money away? And he wants to look at that with respect to two different time horizons. First, in this life, what will happen to you in this life if you give your money away? And then secondly, in the life to come. If you give your money away in this life, what will happen to you in the life to come? And he continues on teaching along these two lines. So take a look again on on your insert here. This is the second paragraph now. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So he says, first, what's going to happen to you in this life if you give your money away? And the answer is, God will take care of you. God will provide for your needs. God will meet your physical needs. Food, clothing, shelter, God, if you give your money away, will come in and take care of you and meet those needs on your behalf. And he's, he's you know, I think we, when we hear this, we kind of put our Jesus brain on, where it's like, okay, so this is, these are the words of an ancient teacher, and it's kind of these um, wise sayings that we're supposed to meditate upon. Consider the lilies. Consider the birds. You know, just this, this, these nice thoughts. And it, it's not that. That's not what it is. It's, it's, he's arguing with us. He's reasoning with us. He's recommending a strategy for living. And he's saying, if God takes care of the flowers and the birds, which are so inconsequential, why would he not take care of you? 
If he's going to take care of that, why would he, which is of lesser value, why would he not take care of something which is of greater value? Trust God. Trust God to meet your needs. The reason giving plays into that is giving is the way that we signal to God, I want to depend on you. I want you to meet my needs. A lot of people don't realize that there's kind of a condition with this. God does not promise to meet your needs unconditionally. He promises to meet your needs if you throw yourself upon him, if you depend upon him. And when you give, when you give your money away, you're saying to God, God, I'm not depending on myself. God, look, I could have tried to hold this to myself. I could have tried to depend on my own wealth, but I'm not doing that. Instead, I'm giving it away. Now I expect you to come and take care of me. And he will. He'll respond to that. What he doesn't respond to is, God, come and take care of me. Oh, and by the way, I've got a few backup plans. So if you don't, you know, then I'll be okay still. He won't work with that. He doesn't work with that. He doesn't work like that. He doesn't do backup plans. But if you signal your intent to depend on him through giving, he will take care of you. And Jesus is saying it's a much more satisfying way to live. Because if you control everything yourself, that means you have to worry about everything yourself. And really, you don't have much power. Really, you can't get much done. That's his argument about, can you add an hour to your life? Can you add a single hour to your life? Well, no, Jesus, I can't. If you can't do that, why do you suppose that you are so potent? Why do you suppose that you have so much capacity to make a difference in the world? You don't. Trust God. Trust God to take care of you. That's what will happen in this life if you give your money away. God will meet your needs. But only if you signal your dependence on him. Rush through that a little bit because what I really want to focus on, this is where we get to the Cruffalo dollar stuff, is what's going to happen in the life to come. Jesus isn't finished there. He wants to then talk about what will happen in the next life if you give your money away in this life. He says, Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. They know, and your Father knows what they need. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then he goes on to say, now he's talking about something different. In this last paragraph, now he's switching subjects. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Give you the kingdom, not food, not clothing, to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So at first, Jesus' story about the guy who dies and God says to him, you fool, and loses everything, at first it seems very much like the book of Ecclesiastes. At first it seems like the exact same sort of story that Solomon would, would tell. Just everything is meaningless. You work so hard, you die, you lose it all. There's no point to all of it. It seems like that at first, but there's this very important difference between what Jesus is saying and what Solomon was saying thousands of years before him. What Jesus is saying is, there is a meaningful alternative. There is a way out. There is another option. There's a way to cheat death. There's a way to cheat taxes, for that matter. The two things that are supposedly inevitable. There's another choice. This guy had another choice. What he could have done instead is, given his money away and provided for himself, provided for himself money bags that don't grow old. In Matthew, this same passage is a little bit clearer. Matthew quotes Jesus as saying, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy it, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where no moth and rust destroy it, where no thief can can break in and steal. The, The... essence of what Jesus is saying, and this is so remarkable, 
And this is so hard for us to understand for those of us that have kind of pushed this type of thinking away. The, the essence of what he's saying is it is not bad, it is not wrong to amass a pile of wealth. But earth is not a safe place to do that. Earth is not a safe place to stash all your stuff. It's not bad to make a big pile of stuff. In fact, you should do it. You should try to make the biggest pile of stuff you can. But earth is not a safe place to do it. You're going to lose it if you do it here. What you can do instead is give and store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Give, and instead of losing it when you die, it'll be waiting for you when you get there. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. This bothers people. This really bothers people because it seems so selfish and self-serving. When people give, they want to feel really altruistic. They want to feel like they're not thinking about themselves. And Jesus is saying, you know why you should give? I'll be honest with you. The reason you should give is you're going to get to keep it that way. The reason you should give is then you'll have it and you'll get a good return on it, a better return on investment than anything here. And people say, I don't like that. I don't, I don't give because I want something back. I give because I'm thinking about others. I give because I'm a good person. I don't like this selfishness. I don't like this self-centeredness. But the way that Jesus talks about this and the way that the heroes of the faith approach this is very different than the way we like to think about it. There's this story in the Gospels, um, a conversation between Peter and Jesus, this remarkable conversation. And it's set up by another conversation first. Jesus is, this, this rich guy comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have kept all the Ten Commandments. Is there anything else I need to do? And Jesus says, well, there is one more thing. Sell everything you have, give it to poor, and come and follow me. And the guy says, um, I, you know, I don't think so, and walks away. So the disciples are standing by, and Peter's listening. The disciples over here, and Peter chimes in with, Hey, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? And you're reading this, and if you know Peter, you're just cringing. You're like, I can't believe he just said that. What a stupid question. Jesus is going to annihilate him. How could he be so selfish? This is going to be really bad. Look at Peter. stuck his foot in his mouth again. That's the Jesus we think we know. The real Jesus doesn't say that. The real Jesus doesn't say, Peter, how could you be so selfish? The real Jesus does not say, Peter, that's not up for you to know. That's for God to determine. The real Jesus doesn't say, Peter, how could you be so immature thinking about what you stand to gain? The real Jesus says to Peter, great question, when things start over, and they will, when things begin new again, anybody who has given up anything for me will receive a hundred times as much in the life to come. And the people that were first are going to be last, and the people that are last now are going to be first then. He says, Peter, you're well on your way. Peter, you're going to be rich. Jesus loves his question. He honors his question. His self-serving question. What am I going to get? What do I stand to get out of it? And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to get a lot. And anybody else who gives up for my sake will get a lot too. A hundred times as much. Just in case you're wondering, that's 10,000% interest. 10,000% interest on your investment. That's what you're going to get if you send it on ahead. If you give it up now and look for it later. And so the, the thing I want to turn to with the time we have left, and we'll kind of circle around this a little bit, is... Why? Why does God set it up like this? Why does he set up this reward system? 
Because essentially what Jesus is saying is, okay, this economy is going to end, and there's going to be a new economy, and what you want to do is convert the currency of this economy into the currency of the new economy. It's like the ultimate insider trading tip. The, the world is going to burn. Get it out of here and get it somewhere else. But why? God didn't have to set it up this way. Why does he set it up with this reward system? Why does he make this kind of the big idea in giving that you're supposed to look for it later? Why does he do that? If you look on the, uh, the back of your program, the author of the, the book of Hebrews talks about this. This is... Um, Passage number 2, Hebrews 11 and 12. I want to just walk through this passage, take a few minutes to walk through this passage together. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. To have confidence in what you hope for, you have to hope for something. You have to have something that you're hoping for. This is what the ancients were commended for. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe two things. One, that he exists, and two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So let's pause with this verse for a second. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are you a believer? Are you a believer? What the author of the Hebrews says is, there's two things you've got to believe to be a believer. One, you've got to believe in God. That doesn't make you a believer. James says, even the demons believe, and they shudder. They shudder because they know what's coming to them. What makes you a believer is, one, you've got to believe in God, and two, you've got to believe that he's going to reward you. This is not a side thing. This is not like an extra benefit, a perk. Like, oh, I don't do it for that. I don't do it for the reward. But hey, if I've got a reward coming, that's nice. This is the essence of what it means to have a relationship with God. Believe that he exists and that he's going to reward you. That he's going to reward you for seeking him. You have to believe that. It's this essence of being a believer. Why? The author of the book of Hebrews talks about these examples to try to prove his point. By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations. He lived in tents because he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He regarded disgrace as greater value because he was looking ahead to his reward. Greater value. What what it's saying is Moses was doing cost-benefit analysis. He's saying, this is what I'm going to have to pay now, and this is what I'm going to get later, and it's worth it. Are you good at cost-benefit analysis? You're set up to be a good Christian. All these people did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And the author has one more argument. He's kind of got his trump card left. Therefore, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying, don't you know that this is how Jesus approached life? Don't you know that this is what motivated Jesus? The way we normally read that verse is, 
for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Like, those are the parts that don't matter. Like, the, the joy doesn't matter. Like, the sitting down at the, the throne, the right hand of the throne of God doesn't matter. It mattered to Jesus and motivated him. Substantially motivated him. What I've found as a pastor is that the people who say, you know, I don't do good things for a reward. I don't give for a reward. I just do it because it's, it's a good thing to do. Um, what, they, what they really mean is, I don't believe there's a reward. I don't have faith to believe that there really is a reward. What that's really code for is, I just can't set all of my hope in something that I can't see. The reason God makes it all about reward is because he wants us to believe in what he says. He wants us to believe that when he says something, it really works that way. That's why Jesus honors Peter's response. He hears Jesus say something to the guy. He says, you know, if you gave all your money away, you'd be really rich in heaven. And Peter hears that, and he doesn't think that's some metaphor. He says, Jesus, is that how it really works? And Jesus says, yes, that's how it really works. It really works exactly like that. God is looking for somebody who's saying, I'm doing it for the reward. That's the main reason I'm doing it. I'm doing it, God, because you promised it's going to be good for me, and I believe you. I believe what you say. I'm doing it for the reward. That's my main motivation. It's not wrong. In fact, it's better. It's better than any other motivation because you're trusting in God. It's not childish. It's childlike. It's placing yourself as a child of God under his his fathership and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you to take care of me. I trust you when you promise something. I trust that you're going to deliver. And we think of it as kind of lesser, but really it's greater. So what I want to do with the few minutes we have left is is talk about this this offering we're doing next week. Um, Every Thanksgiving we do this special Thanksgiving offering. It's the reason we're talking about giving today. And honestly... um, you know, this is, again, Creflo Dollar and Robert Tilton. This is where they have it, right? Honestly, if there's one message this year that I could have people in our church here, if there's one message that could make a dramatic difference in your life overnight, it's this one. Um, because this giving, this financial giving, is the fastest way to grow spiritually, to align your heart with the heart of God. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You send it ahead. All of a sudden, you are thinking about the things that God is thinking about. All of a sudden, your heart is in the same place that God's heart is in. And he'll take care of you in this life, and he'll reward you in the life to come. We've done this uh, Thanksgiving offering the past few years, and um, Brittany and I gave to it the first year. We've been here two years before this one, and then we gave more last year. And leading up to the last month or so, I knew it was coming, and um, I was crying preparing the message this week because I've been thinking leading up to the, the offering, you know, I think it's, I think it's somebody else's turn to, to step up this year. Um, we'll give, but we're not going to give more. We're not going to stretch ourselves. We're not going to give more than we have in the past because we're, you know, just out of money. We've, we've paid our dues. We've done our part. We've done this faith-giving thing before, trying to really stretch and really sacrifice. Um, but I think that, you know, it's somebody else's turn at this point. So we'll, we'll give, we'll just give a little bit less than we have in the past. And I, I started crying reading through this stuff because it's like, well, if we did that, who would lose? Who is it that's going to lose out if that's the approach we took? It'd be us. We'd be the ones that lost. We'd be the ones that lost out. I was crying for myself. I find it easier to cry for myself than others. I don't know about you. Um, God understands that. God understands that we're selfish people. 
And he set it up in a way that we can use that as a way of growing closer to him. But you have to have faith. You have to believe. Have, that's, the, that's the common denominator, right, between this life, what happens in this life, and what happens in the life to come is that both require faith. You have to have faith. You have to believe that God's going to take care of you in this life. You have to have faith. You have to believe that God's going to take care of you in the life to come. And that pleases him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But faith pleases him. Saying, God, I believe you, it pleases him. So there's a, there is a, um, like a piece of, gosh, a piece of paper. Really hard to think of that word. Um, there's a printout, double-sided printout, of what we're going to use the offering for this year. $90,000 is the goal um, to give next Sunday. This is a special offering above and beyond your regular tithes. Um, so 90000 is the goal, and there's a breakdown of what we're going to be using it for. And then in your program, too, there's a kind of a guide on determining how much to give. I'm not going to, I talked a little bit about what we're going to use the money for last Sunday um, at the meeting after church. You can watch that online if you want. I'm not going to talk about it this morning um, because really it's not, it's not the point. The point is not so much what we're going to use it for. The point is more this exercise of giving for the reasons we've talked about. And not that I don't think they're good, they're good purposes. But the reason that our family is going to give is not so much because I believe in the mission of this church, although I obviously do, um, but because of these reasons, these spiritual reasons that I talked about. That's the interesting thing coming back to the beginning about this, this Creflo dollar type example, or even a Robert Tilton, even in something where there's fraud, is people see that and they shake their heads and they say, oh my goodness, how sad is it that those people wasted all of that money? And I hear that and I think, how, how do you figure? How do you figure that what some pastor criminal guy does with that money later affects that person's account with God? How do you figure? We've got nothing to do with each other. Is it sad? Is it sad when that guy goes and wastes all that money? Yeah. Is he going to have to answer to God for that? Yeah. And I don't want to be there when he does. But it has no effect on the people that give. The, the biggest giving that Brittany and I have ever done was to a church building project that I didn't even, I didn't think the building should be built. I didn't care. It didn't even bother me. It wasn't like, I'll give anyway. I just didn't care because it was an opportunity to credit my account. Look on the back of your program. This is the the way that uh, the Apostle Paul talks about it to the church in Corinth and Philippi. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So that's what we've been talking about, that the, the, the amount you give affects the amount you get. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We'll talk about that in just a second. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you. So that's talked about all that. Now listen to what he says next. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more being credited to your account. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Again, a conditional promise. A lot of people quote that verse all the time. God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Conditional. If you give, if you give sacrificially, God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, not that I desire your gifts, but I desire is that more be credited to your account. So we're going to use the money. Um, we're not going to like give all this money and then have a big cash bonfire. You know, that would be kind of absurd. Um, but I, I, don't, I mean, it wouldn't be as absurd as it sounds. You know? I mean, I do think we want to use the money for sure, but that's not the main point. It's, if, that, if that thought of you know, just burning it all um, just kind of makes you go berserk, 
I mean, we're, it's paper. It's issued by the United States Treasury. It's meaningless. It's just meaningless. And God does want us to be wise with our wealth on earth. He does want us to use it in productive ways. But the main, the main reason I'm giving is because I need to unload myself of this so I don't trust in it. Because I want to have rewards when I get there. Important distinction, too, is this distinction of it's not like you can give enough to earn God's favor to let you in the door. We talk about that plenty. We're not talking about this that this morning. But to get in the door, to be accepted by God, means relying on the grace of Christ. And you can't ever do enough to receive God's love. But it's this question before and after. After you've done that, after you've accepted God's love, after you've realized that you can't do enough, then God says, okay, now start doing stuff. Okay, now start racking up rewards. Because I want you to have your heart where my heart is. So we're going we're gonna to give next week. And in your bulletin, there's a, that guide of how much to give. And there's a little card. You can bring that back next week. Um, it's important to me that, we, that I preach this message this week instead of next week so that you have time to go home and think about it and so that you don't kind of just get caught up in the moment or feel pressure or something like that. That's what Paul is saying here about each of you should give what you decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, if, if you give just because you feel like you're supposed to, guess what? Everything I'm just talking about doesn't apply. You know, it's not just no matter what. It has to be a condition of your heart. It has to be a condition of your heart. Jesus talks about um, the Pharisees in Matthew 6 who give and they kind of trumpet. I have it here. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So you can miss out on everything we've been talking about by doing it in the wrong way. If you do it to get a pat on the back, if you do it out of compulsion. That, by the way, is um, this thing about receiving your reward in full on earth. Um, that's one of the reasons why I don't ever look at who gives what at our church. I have no idea how much anybody gives because I don't want to interfere with this. I don't want to inadvertently steal part of your reward, prevent you from getting part of your reward by giving you a pat on the back. And you see how different giving is from fundraising. You know, in fundraising... That the key is reward. If somebody gives a big gift, call them up the next morning and take them out to breakfast. If, I mean, if we did that, if I called people up and took them out to breakfast, you'd be getting so gypped. A breakfast with me. That's what you get. Great. I mean, for some of you, that'd be a punishment, not a reward. A breakfast instead of a reward from God. So I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to interfere with what you've got coming. You say, it's almost like you really believe this. I mean, you're talking about it like, like it's real stuff. And it is. And it is. And if you can believe that, if you can get on board with that, I would encourage you to give more than you ever dreamed about giving before. To give extravagantly. To give to the point where it hurts. To give to the point where you think, I just can't afford to give that much. 10,000% interest. If you really had an account that for, for the next year, for the next 12 months, would yield 10,000% interest, what you do is... You'd sell everything you own. You would live in a box for a year. You would put every cent into that account. And at the end of 12 months, you'd go and collect. And you'd be crazy not to. You'd be foolish not to. That's what's so crazy about what God says to the man who stockpiled all the wealth. He doesn't say, you evil man. He doesn't say, you monster. He doesn't say, you bad person. He just shakes his head and says, you fool. You fool. You really messed up. So, if you can believe it, if you can get behind this, I encourage you to really stretch yourself 
to really give more than you thought you could give. And it's satisfying. It's rewarding in a whole different way. Let's pray. I'm going to pray a prayer that um, if it applies to you, you can follow along with me. God, I want to trust you more. I want my heart to be more closely aligned with yours. I want to live a life of faith. And God, perhaps what I feel most is a desire for my life to count. A desire to not waste the one life I've been given. I don't want to come to the end of my life and lose everything. I want to invest my money and see a return. God, I pray that you would show me this week how much I should give. I pray that you'd show us how much our family should give. I ask you to stretch us, to push us, to tug on our hearts. I ask you for the courage to see it through. I ask you to supply me with the faith to sacrifice for the sake of a greater reward and for the sake of a deeper relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What I'd encourage you to do is to take these, these cards home with you this week and to just have a family meeting at some point during the week.